Welcome to another edition of Dogger Pass Podcast. This, this for UFC Vegas 53. Paul Shaughnessy joined on the line, as always, by Cody Safdick. Uh, we've got a card this week, Cody. It's not a particularly good one. It's been a little bit of a rough stretch since UFC 273. I believe that was 273. These these fight fight night cards have been uh, uh, dicey to say the to say the least. But uh, I'm happy to have fights every single week. Happy even if there's not even great opportunities for betting. If there's not spots that I absolutely love, I am still thankful that there's fights for me to uh, to degen into every single week. So. Uh, We've got 12 of them to degen into this week. Uh, any any first thoughts before we get into the action there, Code? Oh, man, like you said, it hasn't been the greatest stretch. I mean, even when we do have okay weeks, we're scraping by with maybe a top ticket at best, and there's been weird cancellations. And last week, I not only got beat up on the UFC, but I got beat up way worse on the Bellator side of things. Like, yeah, I don't know. It just hasn't been the greatest in that regard. And then even when you look at the UFC, like you've got a minus 1,800 gets himself disqualified against Mike Jackson in the first round. Uh, I decide to fade both Canadians, and both of them pick up fairly easy first-round submissions. Like, any dog I thought had a chance just didn't come through. The just it Really, it was a bad card all around, but it's been an accumulation that hasn't been the greatest stretch. So no, normally, Mr. Optimistic, I'd say, let's just get it back back this week, you know? That's the glory of MMA betting. You're always into another one. But this is a dicey proposition of a card for sure. I think it's going to be Dog City. I can already smell it. I can hear the dogs are barking. And so let's try to stay on the positive side of things. And if it was one of these greasy cards that we got the bounces to go our way, tons of value, tons of value. But we're going to need some bounces. I got bailed out Bellator live uh, on two on both nights. I ended up taking, I mean, it was, in hindsight, it was actually a bad bet because she basically had she was not going to win a decision, but I took Liz Carmouche at like plus 700 live. Um, and I had better, I'd actually like plus 175, plus 200, and then plus 175. And honestly, like a minute later, she's, uh, she gets into mount. She gets the crucifix. I mean, the stoppage was like, thank you, Mike Beltran, for filling my pockets. Yeah, but Beltran. made a whole bunch of money on that. And I, uh, <laughs> and the other one was... Why is memory? Absolutely. Oh, Yancey Medeiros, like in round three, was like plus 700 live. And I was watching that fight. I'm like, we're in Hawaii. Um, these these rounds seem a lot closer than that. Um, so I ended up cashing out big on those. So that kind of saved my week. My bets were pretty 50-50. Uh, still have some carryover from uh, Romanov versus Sherman. Uh, yeah, Sherman, or Romanov inside the distance was, was in there. So I still have some carryover from that. I mean, the UFC was pretty mediocre, but Bellator Live saved my biscuits. Anyway, we got Rob Font taking on Marlon Chito Vera in the main event of UFC Vegas 53. Rob Font, a minus 130 favorite. Chito Vera could be had for plus 110. I mean, uh, watching tape on this and, and thinking about this fight and looking at the numbers and everything like that, Rob Font, his volume is huge. Power, not so much. Um, I tend to think he probably wins a matchup here in uh, in terms of over the course of five rounds. He just lands more significant strikes. But he could have said the exact same thing when he took on Jose Aldo. He, he, he outclipped him like almost one and a half to one on significant strikes. Those knockdowns by Jose Aldo 
make it really hard for him to win rounds. Like he's well on his way to winning round one, gets dropped at the end of round one, loses that round. So I I simul I think about this pretty similarly. Rob Font, good boxer, should be feeding out the jab, jab, jab. Um, he's he's got good hands. He's gonna land probably more strikes than Marlon Vera. Marlon Vera's got some really nice kicks, has some power in those kicks. That's what makes it a little bit dicey. But um, I haven't bet it. If I am, if I was, I think I'm still gonna side with the numbers. I'm gonna side with who is more active and just hope that he doesn't get knocked uh, knocked down. Marlon Vera may have a bit of a grappling edge in this spot too, but I don't really trust his wrestling to get the fight and hold the fight in those positions. So I'm going to lean towards Font, but it's a dicey fight and I won't be shocked if it goes either way. What about you? Yeah, pre-flop, I like Rob Font as well. I mean, I think he's a really top-level talent. His problem is, is that he just can't quite get over the hump of like the elite. But, I mean, he beats everybody in between. Very solid. Also, he's got a little bit of a streak going here, right? He only loses to Brazilian guys. Jose Aldo, Rafael Asuncao, Pedro Munoz, and John Lineker. Those are his UFC losses. People will be quick to mention that he lost to Des Green on the regional way back when. But, I mean, in the UFC, right? you got to be one of these tough, rugged Brazilians that can take his punch. Because, as you mentioned, he doesn't have a ton of stopping power. But take that volume, walk through it and put the damaging blows on him. If you can do that, then you can have success against Rob Font. But no doubt about it, his footwork's excellent, his jab's excellent. He's, you know, a more advanced version of like a Julio Arce where they can just dictate a lot of the range and the action from the outside and matador their opponents. In theory, it should have worked against Jose Aldo, and he fought a near-excellent game plan. It's the knockdowns. It's the big moments. It's the wow factor. And so if that's going to catch up to him, then that's the only way he loses this fight. I think he's way cleaner. He's got a speed advantage. And I think early in the first round, two rounds, he's going to be winning it. This is my problem, right? Who, who has ever watched Cheeto, who's ever cheered Cheeto on, wouldn't want to see this guy in a five round. Is he not built for five rounds, Paul? Because the guy's better. the world's slowest. Yeah, the guy's the world's slowest starter in the game. I mean, he's lost first rounds effectively to, oh man, the list is so long. But if you want to run through it, I'm pretty sure he lost the first round to Roman Salazar, lost the first round to Gwing Yu, lost the first round to Brad Pickett. Lost the first round to, obviously, Lineker, uh, Wulji Burin, Guido Canetti. Uh, Andre Ewell was competitive, but he won that one. Davey Grant in the rematch. Like, he's a very slow starter, but the guy just keeps going. He picks it up as he goes along, and I think that would be the key difference here is that as good as Arce looked in the Cody Garbrandt fight, Garbrandt was almost knocked out in the first round, and his game plan went absolutely nowhere after that. Jose Aldo, meanwhile, I mean, he just stuck to it, waited for the big opportunity to present themselves, and was able to cash in on them. I kind of think that Marlon Vera would be able to do the same thing, maybe lose the first couple rounds, but keep coming, eventually get in his face, eventually make it a gritty fight, try to get the fight to the ground. If he does take him down, as you mentioned, perhaps a grappling advantage. Rob Font gave some sloppy takedowns up to Cody Garbrandt. Cody Garbrandt's a 125-pound fight fighter, so... Well, you know what I'm saying. He's a, world he's a champion former, at 135. Yeah, former know, champion, champion at 130 or 135. He so. got lucky. Shouldn't have been a champion. But yeah, okay. He's a former champion at 35, but his frame's not all that big. And even though he comes from a wrestling base, it's nothing. Like it's a high school wrestling base. He not, didn't wrestle beyond that. All I'm saying is a guy like Marlon Vera could take him down. If he does take him down, his grappling is excellent. Even if he just keeps the fight standing, he's got to get in his face. 
And when you watch a Frank Yeager fight, the first round Frank Yeager is doing an excellent job of matadoring him. He's playing to the outside. He's moving linearly very well, stays as far away, and he's landing good counter shots. He lands the takedown. <sighs> Vera can't get up. First round Frank Yeager. Second round, Frankie gets the takedown. All of a sudden, ooh, Vera gets back up. Why? Because, I mean, he just gets stronger the fight goes. Even a seasoned guy like Frank Yeager has trouble holding him down. As soon as he gets back up the second time, it's all Marlon Vera in that second round. I know DC thinks maybe Frankie's up 2 nothing, but that's not the fact. It's 1-1 going into the third round, and Marlon Vera just chases after him and puts a beating on him. Eventually does knock him out with a front mm-hmm. kick to the face, but that's the third round, Paul, against a guy like Frankie who's 40, but he's just going to keep developing, keep going. So you talked about how Bellator, there was some great live betting spots, and I think this is one of them. I think the, the, the move, if you want to get technical... Uh, you could bet pre-flop you could go with marlon vera because he's slight plus money but i think if you bet him after the first couple of rounds you're going to get much better mm-hmm. in terms of what you would put on a parlay ticket like i don't know it's the main event so i guess you could go font and then i guess you could try to hedge it out after a couple of rounds if you don't feel overly comfortable with it all i'm saying is it's going to be a much better price after the first couple that being said think i'm gonna lean underdog in the main event so give me with marlon vera i'm not gonna fight you all that much on that all right moving on down we've got andre arlovsky taking on jake collier or collier sorry in the uh collier i think <laughs> in pat's pat's going to france so maybe i was i was trying to mix in his uh his french accent there uh jake collier uh-huh. plus 120 underdog andre arlovsky can be had for minus one four i kind of think about this one similarly to the the previous fight that we just talked about i mean if you look at jake collier's record and you look at you know he's taking on aspinall i'm gonna throw that completely out the window but jean volante 123 significant strikes carlos felipe a fight that he lost on the scorecards but i thought pretty clear that he should have won that decision loses by split decision but 130 significant strikes if he is able to throw a hundred over a hundred significant strikes i don't know if the modern version of andre arlovsky can keep at that pace like he can get close to 100 but if it's like 130 to 88 um jay collier is gonna win based on just volume sheer volume i do see this fight um, it was actually, it was like minus 155 earlier in the week. Uh, people are on the over two and a half, uh, minus 210. Now you're dealing with, you know, Arlovsky, bad, historically a bad chin. Starts getting a little bit of like risky business trying to chase overs in that. But I think Jay Collier wins. I think Jay Collier wins by decision, just in volume. I will say with the small caveat that Andre Arlovsky has, just has a way of just, Dragging people into his type of fight, slower paced, um, and, and just kind of controlling the range in a lot of his fights. He's on a three-fight winning streak, obviously, against similar type of levels of competition. They both fought Felipe, Jared Vandera. I mean, that was a fight that a lot of people scored for Vandera, um, and he wins the split decision there. Arlovsky has a way of like making these making these fights slow-paced, fighting at his pace of fight. But I'm going to lean towards the underdog, plus 120, uh, Jake Collier. What about you? Yeah, I'm feeling the same thing. It's more of a dogger pass for me, but I think Jake Collier has that plus money. Underdog definitely has a chance of coming through. The version of Andre Arlovsky that you're presented in the last few years is that they're likely going to go 15 minutes, and it's likely going to be a very dicey and greasy close decision. So if you can get Andre Arlovsky at plus money or close to even money, yeah, yeah, maybe you take the flyer on him. 
he fights such a mid-level version of guys, right? Felipe Liv, Tanner Bozer, Chase Sherman, Carlos Felipe, Jared Vandera. They're, they, what do they all have in common, right? They're all like mid-level or slightly below mid-level. Those are the guys that he can slow the pace down with. Those are the guys he can outpoint. And in close fights, because Andre Orlovsky is such a badass legend of the sport, he's been fighting professionally since 1997, one of the most tenured guys on the rosters, you know, a household name for MMA fans, you tend to just write down the 10 in his column more often than you write the 9 in these close rounds. So, again, I think it's going to be a close fight. But I think volume, just like you said, would be the name of the game. Like that Jared Vandera fight, he didn't look good at all. Vandera backed him up the entirety of the fight and has landed you know, far more volume. I think it's close. I think it's competitive. I think Arlovsky does what Arlovsky generally does, but you could have easily scored that as a split for Vandera. The difference with Jake Collier is that I think he's just better than Jared Vandera. He keeps himself a little more tight, a little more composed. Defensively, I think he's a little bit sounder. The fight with Carlos Felipe, his cardio seems to let out in the third round, but again, it was such a high pace, and he really threw down with Carlos Felipe. So this is a guy that's not really known for his power. But I think if he goes at Arlovsky and he forces a firefight, he could clip him because, of course, they are heavyweights. If he's somehow able to get the fight to the ground, oh, baby, he looked awesome. He looked awesome his last time out against Sherman as soon as the fight hit the ground, right? There are avenues for him, certainly as an underdog. And you know how it is, man. Two middling heavyweights, dogger pass situation, name of the show, name of the game. I think that he should be able to edge out Andre Arlovsky, largely based on volume, like you said, and just landing the uh, the better shot. So. I'm going to go with Jake Collier as well, and that's uh, underdog number two. Believe me, there's a lot of them on this on this card. That's officially going to be dog number two, Jake Collier. All right, we got Andre Tachi Feely taking on Joe Anderson Brito. Minus 260 Feely, plus 210 Brito. Went back and watched uh, Andre Feely's last fight against uh, Pineda. Obviously, it was the eye poke in round two, but I thought that was the best we've ever seen from Andre Feely. He was really flowing on the feet, landing... Landing very damaging strikes. Like, I thought this is the best we've ever seen from him. He, um, obviously, he didn't have to worry too much about... The, the best path to victory is what we saw from, like, Bryce Bryce Mitchell. Is like, if you can control this guy in the grappling range, he's, you know, he's, he's a good grappler. He's not a great grappler. And Bryce uh, put him to task in that situation. But I thought against Pineda, he was looking great. Kind of gets raw. Like, it, Pineda wanted to continue fighting, so, like, no disrespect whatsoever to him. Obviously, he couldn't see out of that one eye. Um, but, yeah, I thought that was the best we ever seen from uh, Andre Feely. Joe Anderson Brito, on the other hand, uh, he, he had a little bit of success uh, taking down uh, Bill Aljeo. But who doesn't have success taking Bill Aljeo down um, a little bit early? And then even later in the fight, he didn't. Um, I think this stays on the feet. Feely's the much more tenured fighter. I think minus 260 is a lofty price tag. But I'm struggling to find many things that I like about the underdog here. Uh, give me Andre Feely. Um, I'm interested to hear you're, you're the parlay guy. So is uh, Feely a guy that you're trusting this week? Yeah, well, he's got the price tag that you got to trust him. And of course, I think we are going to play him, but I don't agree with the price tag at all. I think he wins this fight. I just don't think it's as easy as a minus 260, minus 270 tag would, would likely suggest it's going to be. Joannison Brito, he's 27 years old. I think he's continually going to get better. If he fights better level of opposition, he could get better. But he's just a little too green right now for my liking. This fight takes place in a couple of years. I think he's super live because the guy is physically just an animal. Very, very strong. Very strong physically. will go in there, clinch up with you. He just throws caution to the wind standing. 
nothing but bombs. And you look at the the fight with Bill Aljo. Actually, you got to take it back to the Diego Lopez fight on the Contender Series to get into the UFC. Starts the uh, the fight, just charges at him, takes him down, holds Lopez down. Second round, charges over at Lopez, gets him down. He's getting beat up in the striking exchanges. His style of just launching these big right hand over the top bombs is not quite coming through for him. It's slowing him down over time. And then that's when you kind of see in the third round, he looks tired and he's been warned twice for eye pokes. He gets another eye poke. They go to a judge's scorecard, very weird situation, and he wins it. I didn't think he looked good. In the Bill Aljo fight, it's the exact same thing. He comes at Bill hard in the first round. Not only is he just taking him down, Paul, but it has to be these huge slams. Like that second takedown attempt, rewatch it, makes no sense. He picks Bill up. He runs him from Bill's side, essentially over to his corner, stops at his corner, twirls around near the center of the octagon, and then charges back to his corner and dumps him. Like talk about wasted energy. As soon as Bill got up, one thing about Bill Aljo is he's got great pace, good cardio, right? So as soon as he got back up, he's winning the striking exchanges. He's winning the volume battle. He's eventually taking Joannison Brito down. And when Brito was on his back, really not that much of a game as far as I was concerned. I thought Brito did a good job in the third round because it's 1-1. I thought he won the first round. I thought Bill Aljo won the second round. It all comes down to the third. Joannison Brito hits a second win. He's coming forward. He's the aggressor. But again, when he throws punches, he just misses largely. And then with like 45 seconds left, he gets taken down by Bill Aljo, gives up his back. Bad look to end the third round. He loses it rightfully. I think Andre Feely should be able to exploit all those same things. Like standing, Feely's got, like you said, he looked good his last time out against Daniel Pineda. But he's better at just, I find, like dictating the range. Like he's going to fight longer. He's going to have a slight reach advantage, I believe. And I think if he stays to the outside, then he should be able to just intercept him before he comes in, see those big blows coming and move out of the way. Like Pineda's a pressure fighter. He's a one-round guy, but he's very strong in the first round. Feely did an excellent job of just basically neutralizing him. But the key, I think, would be to sprinkle in the takedowns. Like, again, Andre Feely is a good wrestler. It's just when you see him against a guy like Bryce Mitchell, who's way too physically strong, he's going to give up seven takedowns. He fought valiantly. He's just out-muscled. In this fight against Brito, I think it'll be another one of these Feely fights where he's got the wrestling advantage, and it's just going to mix that in to, A, look good for the judges, two, slow this guy down, and three, wrestling's exhausting. So if you're worried that Joannis and Brito has a cardio issue, now's the time to Put the pace on him. So I've got Feely as well. I just I, I don't love the price tag. I think this is probably going to be a greasy banger that it's going to could come down to the third round and we need the third round. But Feely's got the tenure. He's got the experience. He's been in those deep waters. And again, with Brito, there are some things I like, but he's way too green. He hasn't put it all together yet. And this is one hell of a tough fight for your your, it's your second fight in the UFC. You lost the first one against Bill Aljeo, and now you're going to fight Andre Feely. Like goddamn. God damn. Maybe the price tag is warranted. The pick will be Feely, um, but I don't know if I put it on the top ticket quite yet. That's fair enough. All right, we got Grant Dawson taking on Jared Gordon, minus 190. Grant Dawson, plus 160. Jared Gordon, what's your take here, buddy? I'm flip-flopping back and forth between this one as well. I think that the live underdog here, definitely Jared Gordon, in that Grant Dawson's last fight was basically a blueprint on how to beat the guy, and Jared Gordon, pretty much all of his fights are that exact same blueprint. He grinds on guys. He's a BJJ black belt, so even if you take him down, you're going to have to muscle him to the ground. He's going to be fighting you the entire way. He's going to work his way back up, and then if you fail to take him down, it's going to be a prom. Grant Dawson, like, looking back at his run so far, so the Adrian Diaz fight, I mean, he's not a grappler, so he beats him. Julian Rosa, not known for his grappling. Mike Trezano, definitely not a grappler. Derek Minner, grappler, but one-round guy, so when he took him into the second round. By the way, he was in some really bad spots in the first, 
But once he tires out the, the one-round guy, he defeats Derek Minner. And Naramani, same thing. It's the last two fights in particular. The Leo Santos fight, he, he didn't look good. Now, I'm a Grant Dawson guy through and through. I bet him through and through. I'm worried in this Leo Santos fight because he can't do anything to him on the ground, and his striking don't really look all that good, uh, his stand-up. Where I'm hoping he's just going to tire Leo Santos out doesn't quite happen as easy as you'd think. Going into the third round, like, I think it's 1-1. Well, it's a dicey proposition, and he's a big enough favorite here that he should go out and do something. Of course, he does knock him out with a buzzer beater, one second left on the mm-hmm. clock, right? So he seals the deal, but that was the first spot where it was like, maybe he's not as great as I thought he was. Like, he was 40-8 and eight his senior year in high school as a wrestler. Was a good enough high school wrestler. Never wrestled in uh, college, to my knowledge. He's 28 now. Like, he, at what point do you turn the corner hasn't quite done it for me. And then the Rick Glenn fight. I got burned bad on this one because, of course, I, he's a minus 525 favorite over Rick Glenn. First round, he spear tackles Rick Glenn to the ground and spends the first round on top. Second round, not so easy. He's tired. He tired after one round. i never seen it before. Normally, the guy can train Russell a little bit, push a pace, but he's gassed after one round against Rick Glenn. Second round, he's getting beat up standing. So he takes him down. But, I mean, he's got no ground and pound. He's got no submission attempts. It doesn't necessarily look good to a judge. Things probably 1-1 going. No, I I got it 2-0. But Dawson's running on fumes. He's not finding a very good game plan. And then the third, he shoots a sloppy takedown, and Rick Glenn just ends up on top and puts an absolute thrashing on him, right? Gets a 10-8 round. That's what forces the draw. Rick Glenn is then pretty open about how I think I won that fight. And this kid sitting here, Grant Dawson, doesn't really got anything to say to it. To me, that showed his limitations. And with Jared Gordon, again, this is what he does. If you want to beat him, you'd better knock him out. That's how he loses. Mm-hmm. Diego Ferreira knocks him out. Joaquin Silva knocks him out. Charles Oliveira was able to catch him. Guys that don't just quickly knock him out in the first round, uh, they've got to endure the pain that this guy brings to you, which is a prolonged beating. And so when you look at Grant Dawson, how does he match up with Joe Selecki? Pretty similar, right? They're both grapplers. They both want to get the early takedown. And, of course, Joe Selecki does get the early takedown against Jared Gordon. But he makes them work the whole time. The longer you work now, it's harder to get them in the second. It's harder to get them in the third. I thought Jared Gordon did an excellent way of working his way back into it. A couple of years ago, I thought this guy was borderline done. Moved over to Sanford MMA. I don't know what he's doing for strength and conditioning, but he seems way more explosive, way more mobile. His striking, of course, is going to be a slight advantage over Grant Dawson. Paces should be there. It's going to be dicey. It's going to be dicey. And so I, I think officially I'm going to go with underdog number three on the card with Jared Gordon at plus 160. Yeah. Um, tough, tough scene for the favorite or past people in the comment section. Lots of dogs. Uh, we're liking lots of dogs this week. I completely agree with you. I think it's a dog or pass situation. A hundred percent. Gordon, Gordon late. Just, uh, yeah, just don't die early. And yeah, Grant Dawson hasn't really showed me very much on the feet to really scare me all that much off of it. If this is a grinding affair, hopefully he slows down. I know Jared's got uh three round cardio, in the bank. All right, we got uh, Darren, the damage Elkins taking on your boy, Tristan Connolly, minus 165, Darren, the damage, plus 145, Tristan Connolly. My biggest concern here, you know me, I love Darren Elkins, but now, now we're talking about a situation where he's minus 165 favorite. I'm starting to think, you know, he's taking all this damage over the years. Cub Swanson goes in there, absolutely clowns on him. It was like 20 to 1 in significant strikes and puts him away. I'm thinking the damage may be damaged goods at this point. Uh, Tristan Connolly doesn't exactly have the stand-up or power that uh, that usually would concern me, but I'm not getting in line 
to um, you know to to squander a whole bunch of money on Darren Elkins as a favorite in this spot. Connolly, when he took on Pereira at 170 pounds, I mean he he fought a very very smart game plan. He fought a very very smart fight. He's got obviously good jujitsu. I think this is another live dog that we're looking at. What do you think? Yeah, I, I actually agree with you 100%. Maybe it's my bias because I got 0-2 for Canadians last week, but uh, I think Tristan Connolly is another one of these guys that I consider a live underdog. Of course, Darren Elkins at his absolute best, the takedowns and the pace, and maybe that would all be too much for Tristan Connolly to overcome. He's just not at his best anymore. Of course, he's only one year older than Tristan Connolly, which seems shocking because... In fight, in fight is, years, Darren Elkins is like 90, though. Like this but guy. There's, there, there's the key problem right uh-huh. there. Is in fight years, the guy is is 175 years old. He's an old wizard at this point. And where it's fun to watch him fight, he's got to be uh, matched up with the appropriate level of competition. Now, on the outside looking in, it seems like Connolly's that guy. I mean, he's one and one in the UFC. He's 36 years old. He just really hasn't made a whole lot of a big splash for himself. His regional show victories all bite good. And I think all of them inside the distance not really against the biggest name and quality guys out there. So there's a lot that you could perhaps not like about him. But again, with Elkins, his losses are legitimate guys. You look at the wins though, Edward Gregory, right? He can take him down seven times. He can grind on him. This guy's got absolutely zero takedown defense, no grappling. That's not the case with Tristan Connolly. His takedown defense could use some work, but he's a BJJ black belt. And he knows how to keep himself out of bad uh, positions. Derek Minner. Derek Minner actually put Elkins through hell in the first round. Problem is, Minner's a one-round guy. All you got to do is last the first round. So he lasts the first round and, of course, scores his first TKO in a very long time because it's not his style. He just, he's just he got to grind on guys. I, I don't think that's going to be the easiest path of victory here against Tristan Connolly, who's got endless cardio. He's got really good deep gas tank. Of course, that BJJ black belt should allow him to keep himself safe um, as far as being on the ground, explode, get your way back up. And then it's not that he's that much better of a striker than Elkins. Is that forward pressure and just be faster. And that's what he's able to do. Of course, we cashed a huge ticket on him when he fought Michelle Pereira. But And the fight's at 170 pounds, by the mm-hmm. way, right? So now he's down at 145. The fight with Pat Sabatini, interesting, because in the first round, he gets dropped. It's like a short little right hand. It kind of folds him over. Pat Sabatini gets on top, and Sabatini's all over him. Takes the back, looks for a rear naked choke. But, I mean, Connolly defends everything, has his wits about him. Defends everything. Second round, much of the same. Pat Sabatini shoots the takedown, gets it easily. Dominates for the most part on the ground, but Tristan Connolly sticks with it. The third round is all Connolly, dude. He's moving forward. He's out striking him. He's backing him up. He's winning the exchanges. He scores his own takedown on Pat Sabatini at the end of the third and uh, does a little bit of good work. Like His his issue is that when he fought Pereira, uh, he had fought... This is in 2019. Okay, 2019, he, he fought in March... He fights two months later. He fights two months later against Pereira. And then he takes like a two-year-long layoff. Had like a neck fusion surgery. Hadn't been able to train all that hard. Hadn't had no ring time. And had a major surgery. Fought valiantly against Pat Sabatini. But you could see early ring rust. He needed to shake it off. The later the fight went, he kind of got his wits about him. I think in this spot, go out there against Elkins and just maybe get taken down early, but cause him to overexpend some energy, cause him to work, get back up, and then stick in his face. Stick in his face, use your speed advantage, pressure him, and I think he could have a lot of success. Elkins hasn't been submitted since Charles Oliveira like 10 years ago, but I think if you could cause him to shoot a bad takedown and snatch a hold of the neck, he's got an excellent guillotine choke. And then beyond that, just pressure, volume, better striking, make him work. I think he could edge it out. So again, I'm going to back another underdog here. 
All right, let's see if uh, we keep the underdog train rolling. We got Christoph Jocko taking on Gerald Mearshart. Minus 165, Jocko, plus 145 for GM3. Uh, Mearshart, Mearshart's always a tricky guy. He's obviously super dangerous. He has the most submission wins, I believe, in like UFC history. The guy fights very, very often. It's like it doesn't even seem that long ago he... That, you know, he got knocked out in the first round by Hamza Chemaev, and then now he's rattled off three straight wins. Um, I mean, originally kind of looking at this matchup, I'm like, well, Jacob lighter on the feet, not much of a power puncher whatsoever, but he should be able to mind his P's and Q's. Just don't engage in the grappling whatsoever, and uh, and you should be able to win. But uh, I'm struggling to get to him at minus 165 just because the volume just is never great enough that, it, it it makes things very, very interesting. He fights a style that leads to very, very close, dicey decisions. And I don't like getting involved in close, dicey decisions when I'm paying chalk prices. Um, I, I do think that Jocko minds his P's and Q's, stays out of all grappling exchanges, uh, points away Gerald Mearshart and gets the W here. But I don't think I'm going to get there with my money. What about you? I think I am going to get there with my money, Paul, but you got me all bugged out now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like, I know the risks of betting against Gerald Mearshart because he always seems to pull one out. But stylistically, this is not a matchup that favors him. I wouldn't think. Mearshart does his best work when his opponent just completely gasses out. That's where he's at his best because he's that perennial underdog that's going to fight through to the end. And if he finds himself on your back, you've got a world of problems. But again, look at his wins, right? Trevin Giles, which he lost the first two rounds, but caught him in the third. Good times, good times. Beat Duran win who completely gassed out after two rounds, and he ca- caught him in the third. Okay, so there's your trend. Of course, Bartosz Fabinski just shot himself face-first into a guillotine choke, as he tends to do. Mahmoud Muradov, this one's interesting. Uh, it almost gets stopped on multiple occasions. Muradov is a round. similar fight. It's a similar fight to what we're dealing with in Jocko here. It is and it isn't. So Muradov's probably got way more natural power than Jocko. Like, Jocko's not one to go out there and knock a guy out. But Muradov doesn't really have cardio, I don't think. Like, his grappling's not there and his cardio's not there. So what happens is he goes out against Mearshart and he drops him early. Mearshart's in, in trouble. You got the referee. Where's referee in the game? Don't want to even mention his name. Uh, Goddamn Mark Smith. I just got to always bring it up. I don't like the guy. I just don't like the guy. The whole time he's warning him. Just like, you got to fight back, Joe. You got to fight back. You got to fight back. He's getting folded over. Nothing's going well for him. And then I like the four-minute mark. I don't know how it's Muradov, but he slows right down. And Mearshart, as he always does, fights back valiantly. Lands a beautiful left hook. Lands a partial head kick. Wobbles him a little bit. Forces the action. Breaks him. And then in the second round, goes out there and finishes the job. But this is another guy that just wasn't able to fight for a sustained period of time. Then you get the Dustin Stolfus fight, right? So I've never been the biggest Gerald Mearshart guy. Striking is just not good. D- big time defensive liability. Chin's always way up in the air. His cardio, even though he's using it to win fights, seems suspect. Like he's always tired out there, seemingly. But I back him big against Dustin Stolfitz because how the hell is he going to lose to Dustin Stolfitz, right? I think he's one of the bigger fight- favorites on the card. And he's effectively a-, a minus 250 favorite against Dustin. The first round, he scores a takedown. He's looking good on top. He has one bad scramble, ends up on his back. Nothing. Nothing. Stolfus just holds him down. Easy money. Stolfus may have won the first round. Crazy. Second round, same shit. He's tired, Mearshart is. He can't get the takedown because his wrestling's really not all that good. Stolfus ends up on top and then clearly dominates him in the grappling exchanges in the second round. Stolfus might be up two rounds. 
Now it's the third round. I, my, my ticket's pretty much burnt up here. I'm feeling really shitty about myself. Third round, Dustin Strofus scores an easy money takedown on Mearshart. And then Mearshart gets back up, finally works to get back up. His heart is better is his best characteristic. And once he gets back up, he starts to put a little bit of pain on him, forces another bad shot, takes the back, grabs the rear naked choke, submits him. Fr- from the jaws of defeat, he did not look good. No. So now when I think about the Jocko fight, Jocko's got really good takedown defense. Of course, on paper, he got taken down five times against Misha Cherkinov, but Misha's very strong and physical, has better wrestling than Mearshart, and has a BJJ black belt as well. So I'm not going to give him too much of a hard time there. And as soon as he gets taken down, he gets back up. But traditionally, the takedown defense has been solid for him. Of course, he does move well. His striking's at a slight advantage. Whereas his volume is very low, you're absolutely right. What volume does Mearshart have? He landed 11 strikes against Dustin Stolfus, and it went uh, 13 minutes. 11 strikes he landed. Against Moradov, he landed 32. I know a lot of these are finishes, but you get what I'm saying. The Duran win fight was his career best. And Duran Wynn is huffing and puffing and curled over. Jocko's not going to do that. Jocko's going to be there. Jocko's physical in the clinch. And Jocko likes to shoot takedowns, but his wrestling's really not all that good. I think he could take Mearshart down. I know what you're saying. Don't grapple with Mearshart. Don't grapple with Mearshart off your back. Grapple with Mearshart. You could take him down. Takedown defense is not that good, and you could set up shop and guard. And I have a feeling Jocko's going to try to do that. Listen, he fought. He went the distance with Talis Latis. Went the distance with David Branch. He's been in bad spots. The dude hasn't been submitted in eight years since Mag- the Magnus Seed Blood. Yep. Yeah, eight years ago. He knows how to grapple. He trains out of American Top Team with some of the best guys in the game. He's hot off a fight with Misha Cherkinov, who, again, is also an excellent grappler, despite just getting armbarred from guard. <laughs> we saw that coming, right? Uh, I, I think I think Jocko. I think Jocko's just got the style to stifle everything that Mearshart brings to the table. And of course, he's got excellent cardio, good enough to not gas out and give Mearshart that glimpse. So I'm going to go with Jocko, the minus 165 here. Sounds like he's going to be pretty high up the tickets as well. Um, he's going to have to be because we got so many underdogs on this ticket. Like, which favorites do you actually trust is the real question. That is a very good question. I mean, I've already bet an underdog. And then I have listed as like, once we're done doing this show, I'm going to bet two more underdogs. So that's the way this week one, this will be the week that the favorites sweep. Just watch. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just oh, watch. Oh. All right. We got Daniel De Silva taking on Frankie Figueredo, uh, minus 135 De Silva, plus 115 for, uh, for bad Figueredo. Who you got here? Okay, this one's going to sound like I'm just spamming dogs, but I'm not, right? He just happens to be a plus 115. It's closer to a 50-50 fight, and you're getting plus 115 on Francisco Figueredo. I'm going to take a shot on it. Why? Okay, so you look with Daniel Lacerda. He's still only 25 years old, and he fights like a young 25-year-old. His striking's good. He's able to go out there and throw spitting back kicks, uh, a lot of fancy techniques. A lot of it exerts a lot of energy. I don't know necessarily how far this guy can fight uh, down the stretch, right? You look at all of his wins. 29 second KO, 40 second KO, two minutes and 45 seconds into the first round, 240 into the first round, 233 into the uh, 223, sorry, into the first round, makes his UFC debut. So he's a first round finishing machine. We know that about him. And he's still very young, still very green. So he draws Jeff Molina. And man, first round, he lands a couple decent strikes, push Molina back, takes his back, gets way too overzealous on a rear naked choke attempt, and ends up uh, himself getting taken down. And then Molina on top smashes away at him. He's tired after the first, I thought. Second round starts, he comes out. Molina just smacks him clean with the right hand and he topples over 46 seconds into the second round. Around he was tired and what already. He had a good start. It looked like there's something there. 
But again, at 25, he's just too inexperienced, I think. He needs to fight a bunch of more guys, go through some bad spots. This is a great learning experience, but there's going to be more setbacks for him. What do you like about him? Well, his kicking game seems versatile. He's got a, I think he's going to have a speed advantage over Francisco. Uh, off his back, because by the way, I mentioned Jeff Molina ended up on top. He threw up a guillotine and two arm bars and like has deep bites on them. But again, this is all part of his problem. He's just over grappling. He's just spamming submission attempts because that's what he does. So I think a guy like that is there to get exploited. And I think Francisco Rivera, uh, Figueredo, for as bad of a reputation as a lot of us give him, you know, he's not, he's not, he's not terrible. Like this, there maybe is something there. Of course, he is Davidson's brother, so that's like his biggest claim to fame. But keep in mind, he's Davidson Figueredo's younger brother, right? He's two years younger than Davidson. So I don't think he's a complete write-off in that this guy couldn't be serviceable, at least at some level. It, it, it's inactivity. When you look at his fights on the regional scene, he takes a gap after 2014, comes back for one fight in 2016, a couple fights in 2017, one fight in 2018, one fight in 2019, takes 2020 off, and then shows up in the UFC. So I, I think he doesn't got the reps as well. He's a little bit older. He's a BJJ black belt. His movement seems okay. Certainly not like Davidson's. His power, definitely not like Davidson's. No. But it's just inactivity. He just doesn't throw enough. But the fight with Jerome Rivera, Paul, four takedowns, right? And he looked very physically strong in the clinch. That gives him an avenue against a guy like Daniel De Silva as well, where even if the guy's just spamming these spin kicks, whatever, close up the distance, grab a hold of him, peel him to the ground. In the Malcolm Gordon fight, in the first round, he does that. He grabs a hold of Malcolm Gordon. He takes him down. He wins the first round. The second round, he's not able to get him down quite as easily, but he's beating him with the strikes. He's out striking him, lands a beautiful knee, backs him up, nice right hand. Then Malcolm Gordon gets the takedown, wins the second. And in the third, Figueredo's gotten figured out. His takedown defense is no good, and he's starting to get tired. He's got a bad gas tank, but so does Daniel De Silva, Lacerda, right? Daniel Lacerda, whatever the hell you want to call him. They both got bad gas tanks. Uh, I think my guy's a little stronger in the clinch. I think my guy's got better wrestling. I think mm. my guy's got better grappling. If he just gets the takedown, stays up on top, probably going to be going going to decision. Probably going to be close and competitive. But I think I think Figgy Figgy Junior Figgy Junior, if you can believe that, pulls it out. So a slight dog money at plus one fifteen. But I think he's another one of these guys that's live. My commitment to him is not going to be that high. Like no. again, I think this is a dog or pass type fight. But the dogs are going to be barking on the card. Even if some of the ones that I predicted to this point don't come through, these lower-level greasy ones, you know, that could go either way, you're going to want the plus money on them, I think. I mean, Frankie Figueredo probably – there's nothing that, uh, that uh, Daniel Lacerda can do to him that he hasn't seen in the gym against his champion brother. But you could have said the same thing about, uh, about Malcolm Gordon, so – I mean, he's obviously bad Figueredo for a reason. I'm not sure I'm going to get there from a betting perspective. But, uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll side with you. Frankie Figueredo gets back on track. The golf season's rolling along in DraftKings Sportsbook. An official betting operator of the PGA Tour has a gimme for new customers. Place any golf bet of at least $5 and get $100 in free bets, no matter what. You can bet a golfer to win bet single round matchups, and so much more. As long as you throw down $5, you'll get $100 in free bets. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the PGA Tour action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Golf Contest. Draft your lineup of six golfers and compete for over $1 million in prizes each week. 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DOP. Place a golf bet of at least $5 and get $100 in free bets, no matter the outcome. That's promo code DOP at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting operator of the PGA Tour. 21 plus restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Moving on down, a fight that I believe we already talked about last week. Not much money to be made unless you're thinking that this is going to be a uh, a situation kind of like a Dean Barry versus Mike Jackson, where there's a, you know, MMA can be very, very cruel sometimes, and uh, the wrong person can get a win with a disqualification or something like that. Obviously, these guys were supposed to fight last week. Alexander Romanov, Chase Sherman, minus 2,200 for Romanov, plus 1,100 for Sherman. I mean... I- I used to have a rule back in the day. It's like anytime you get an underdog, a heavyweight underdog, a five plus 500 or, or more, I would just like auto bet it. I don't even really want to auto bet Chase Sherman because he hasn't really shown too much power with his hands. He does exploit leg kicks, which seems to be one of the issues I've seen with Romanov in the past um, where he doesn't really defend the leg kicks all that well. But Romanov showed up to the weigh-ins last week, and he's really put in a lot of work. He he shed like 20 pounds. Um, he's looking a lot more physically fit. I don't think that cardio, that like the issues that we saw with the cardio against Juan Espino, I think he's probably going to have rectified that. Maybe he loses a little bit of strength um, being able to muscle guys around when you're a little bit 20, 20 pounds less. But he's put on muscle. He's taking off fat. He can still put on more muscle. And uh, he's not obviously a finished product yet. He's a young heavyweight, but uh, everything, I mean, we talked about it last week. We don't have to talk about it very much here. It's just like when Jay Collier takes you down and submits you in round one, what do you think Alexander Romanov's about to do? I think you, maybe it works out this week if you're playing DraftKings. Um, just load up on Romanov because maybe people are scared because, I mean, I, I got burned on it last week. But I'm going to go right back to the well. Um playing Alexander Romanov in all of my DraftKings lineups. Why? Because maybe this week people are a little bit scared off of him. And as we've went through this entire card, you know, it's it's pretty difficult liking certain favorites. Uh, Romanov, uh, it's, it's no, uh, you know, there's nothing special about this pick, but Romanov should smash 100%. So, yeah, that's all I have to say about it. Do you have anything to add? No, the tough spot with DK is you're going to get one takedown, 20 ground strikes, and a first-round knockout, right? Yeah. So you'll get scored very handsomely on it. But, of course, he's going to be the biggest chalk guy on the on the card. Whereas Marlon Vera's got five rounds to work with, dude. He's going to get takedowns. He's going to get strikes. He's going to have pace. Uh, yeah, good times to be had. I don't he think he can to... really say much. On DraftKings, yeah, though, it's like Romanov would just have to score outscore like Andre Feely. And, um, yeah, some of the other guys who are big. There's not many big favorites on the card. You'd have to outscore Tetsuya. Uh, Tetsuya. Uh, Tetsuya. Uh, I'm never going to be able to say that when we actually get to the fight. Tetsuya. Tyra. Uh, well, he's he's going to have to outscore the other guys who are, you know, up there in price. So it's it's more yeah. about the build wow. than anything. I'm just, I, I would hope that maybe people are just scared off of him this week because of what happened last week where we don't find out that until lineups have already locked – that uh, Chase Sherman got into like a motorcycle accident or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The the fact that they just moved it from one card to the next, like it could have been anything overly serious, I wouldn't think. But yeah, we expected him to smash last week and nothing changes. Should be able to get the takedown. You saw how bad Sherman was against Collier, of course. 
Nobody that fights Sherman has a game plan of taking him down. And the one guy that did absolutely exploit him. So I would think Romanov does the same thing. Only two things that could possibly go wrong, Paul, because what could possibly go wrong? You, you mentioned it, Dean Barry situation from last week. Like, you just get yourself disqualified. So imagine he gets the takedown, and he's smashing on Chase Sherman. And Chase Sherman uh, bellies, nah, he bellies down, and he turtles, and you smack him in the back of the head a few times, you're done. You know, you get in the heat of the moment, you drop an elbow on him, you're done. The way this guy throws King Kong two-handed fists, you don't think one of them fists is going to glance the back of the head? <laughs> like, ah, there's a lot of bad spots that could go could go there. Of course, you could always blow out your knee. You could always break your leg on a leg kick. You could always do something stupid like that. What is number two thing that could go potentially wrong is that he did look exceptionally good on the scales last week, did he not? Moldovan supplements designed specifically to work and peak the body at a certain time. So you take them last week because you think you're fighting last week. Now you can't double down on them. I mean, your your iron's way too high. Your liver counts low. White blood cell right through the roof. I mean, you had taken them so that you could peak performance last week. It's possible that his body's now in the decline cycle. So uh, all jokes aside, Moldovan supplements, watch out for them. And I think Alexander Romanov is going to go out there and smash, smash. So 2,200, what can you do with it? Even on the top take, it's not doing you anything. You're going to chase him inside the distance. The tricky part is knockout or submission. Like, he could do it both. Uh, in the UFC, he tends to be more of a submission guy. I think logic would dictate, probably grab up a submission. But I think he'll just go King Kong on him, smash him with two hands till he gets a, a referee stoppage. So I got personally Romanov TKO. But again, the smartest play is just Romanov inside the distance, mm-hmm. which I believe is like minus 700 or something stupid. Yeah, I saw a minus 550 out there. Um, yeah, I had it at Romanov round one as well. You know, if that tickles, I had it at minus four fifty on my parlay, but uh, because that minus book that book hasn't up like it's they haven't they haven't re added it this week. So like right yeah, now it's yeah. it's really weird. I may have to just straight up cash out of it. I'm not entirely sure because they may not. Yeah, I don't know that that prop may not carry through because like right now they're offering me what the payout was. For uh, Andrage was parlayed with it, but like they're not, it hasn't re-registered. So I'm gonna have to check that out. I may just have to cash it out, and then I won't be invested in it, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, Pat had something to say. He had his hand up. He has, he has, he has questions. Yeah, I got a DraftKings question here as it pertains to Romanov. Like I think, thinking about it just from a DraftKings perspective. I think you have to lock him in because he's minus 2200 and only 9600 bucks. Mm-hmm. And Feely is what, a minus 260 and he's 9300 bucks. And with the way that you guys like dogs on this card, oh, you like can you, fit it. Even if you take him, you still have $8,000 left. Yeah. But you can yeah, still leave money on the table with him. Like you can get unique enough. Like is he like, He's what, a bigger what are, the, what are the chances that he outscores Feely? Like a percentage chance? Like Pretty good. Like 80 20? Yeah, I would yeah, think, I would I would think really so. good. So I, I think that's the way that you got to go. I'm, I'm making a lineup as we go along right now. So No, lock in Romanov. Um, the only issue well, is Romanov's that maybe, maybe Chase Sherman goes running again. I don't actually know exactly what happened. They said out of an abundance of caution, whatever that means. I think he got into like a slight like motorcycle accident. Either way, for, I mean, I'll, this this dude, guy got cut, <laughs> was not supposed to be back in the UFC, and then all of a sudden comes by. He's 3-8 and eight in his time in the UFC. His grappling is horrible. The only way he really wins is, like, a disqualification, or maybe the leg kicks causes, like, an injury or something. Like, if he gets taken down, he's getting smashed. 
Yeah, also, you can't use the line out of an abundance of caution when you're booking a guy who is this big of an underdog. Yeah. <laughs> you know what you're getting the poor some bitch into, and it's not going to go pretty. More I would say, I, I believe, and we've been around a long time, Alexander Romanov is the biggest favorite going into a fight in UFC history. It is, Have I you believe, ever seen yeah. a minus two? I no, never seen that. I think this, this is, is the boxing. biggest that's UFC, a, the biggest UFC favorite. I saw someone post that actually earlier. Someone tweet that out? Yeah, I mean, it's never happened. The only one I can think of is like Maria Agapova over Shayna Dobson. Yeah, it wasn't off even, of like yeah. 1850. Yeah. Uh, Kayla Harrison, that's the PFL stuff. Like she yeah. routinely goes off bigger than that. But in terms of the UFC, this is an astronomical favorite. Now is the biggest guy of all times going to lose? Shit, it's a heavyweight. Like what, talk about a division to make something happen. But yeah, I mean, styles make fights. And this is not a favorable matchup for Sherman. Even if Sherman had that classic puncher's chance and could clip Romanov, because we don't know how great Romanov's chin is, Sherman's not even a power puncher. He's a volume guy. And you and I have discussed at length how bad Sherman's been since his no contest because his back knee, and the, mm -hmm. it wasn't a no contest. They gave him the win over Ike. I don't know why it was a win, but he tested positive. And then since then, he's been like off-cycled and just doesn't look very well. He accepted this fight because the UFC uh, offered him double his regular show money. Doesn't that not tell you everything you need to know? I think it tells me everything I need to know. So, Alexander Romanov, first right. round finish. Gabe Green takes on Johan Liness, minus 135 Green, plus 115 Liness. I know on Contender Series, I believe you picked uh, Berlinson. Liness was a big underdog, and uh, he came through. I mean, he looks a little bit like... He doesn't look the most technical on the feet by any stretch of the imagination. I went back and watched a couple of his fights, but like, I don't mind this guy all that much. I see a lot of people lining up to bet Gabe Green this week. And I think technically, you know, technically his striking is better, but, uh, you know, and, and he should be able to land some leg kicks pretty effectively. Obviously, Daniel Rodriguez, he had a pretty close fight with him. I don't mind. I don't know. I, I'm interested to hear what you have to say because I was kind of looking at this as another dogger pass situation. What, where, what's your take here? Oh, do I, man? I think it's another live underdog situation. Of course, Canadians keeping that momentum going, and I think they could be another spot here for 2-0. and oh. With Johan Lainess, I'm the first one to admit that I have underestimated this guy, not only in the Burlington fight, but for a large majority of his career. He's got a tremendous amount of like raw power, but he's not the most technical guy going. Like, he comes at you, he chucks bombs. You watch his TKO fights, they're very sloppy to say the least, but physically very strong and definitely has some raw power in there. He's just, I don't know, maybe not going to tie it together. So, pandemic happens. This guy's undefeated in Quebec. Quebec's not having fights. He needs to figure out how to continue his career. So, he takes probably not a couple great fights for CFFC over in New Jersey, which is one of the best regional uh, companies in the absolute world. Very tough, stiff competition. And he excels, man. First round knockout over Connor Dixon. A flying knee in 14 seconds over uh, Lenny Rufali. Uh, that one ended up going viral. This Troy Green fight. Troy Green was 4-0, also undefeated as an amateur. Just, like, solid guy. He goes out there, he beats him. Like, at what point am I going to become a believer? And then Evan Cuts. Evan Cuts is my boy, right? Used to be on Bellator Fightmaster back in the day. Has a win over Regan Penn from the Hawaiian Regionals. BJ's brother. The guy's been around. Texas Regionals show vet. BJJ Black Belt. Tough as nails. It's for the CFFC uh, championship no way lioness is going to win this fight right he's got bad cardio by the way with lioness everything he does is just so exhausting that he's not built for multiple rounds and cffc does four rounds not five rounds unless it's two two then they'll do an optional fifth but he's just going to gas out 
First round, you know, close, competitive, but he's starting to tire. Second round, he's starting to tire. And the dude just turns up the Jets out of nowhere and knocks Evan Cuts out. Mm-hmm. Like, literally just barrages him and puts him away. I watched I'm that thinking, one. damn, maybe he was tiring. It looked like he was tiring. He said he just, that a lot. He, he just keeps he, coming forward. He was coming off of the Troy, Troy Green fight. And he said, yeah. like, the, the broadcasters were saying they're like he, that, that he said to them, He's just like, a lot of people think that I can't fight. He's like, I've changed up my nutrition, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. You always hear this, the old the old song and dance. But, I mean, yeah, that cuts fight. It's like he did have, he had plenty in the tank in round two. He had a cut on the side of his face. And, you know, it wasn't looking great for him. And then, they, yeah, the Burlington fight, I think he really showed that, you know, his first amateur fight, he got submitted back in 2016. Obviously, he got a little bit of a later start into MMA. But he showed that he was not scared whatsoever to go and uh, and get himself out of a predicament. Like, he went, took down Burlington, had to quickly get out of a guillotine attempt. And, uh, yeah, I think he's he's worked on a lot of different things. So... I'm leaning toward, I think oh, he's probably going to get added to the card. It's going to be an all-dog card for me this week. God have mercy on my soul. Dude, I, I, I hear it 100%. And so that's what I'm getting at. Is after you beat Cuts, it's like, oh, dude. And then he fights Burlinson. And that was the last time I just said, I'm just going to fade this guy. Burlinson, of course, was a minus 275 favorite. I think I paid minus 325 for the record. Such a dumb idea. Burlinson's 17-1 and one as an amateur, right? One of the best amateurs to come out of Britain. Guy's, guy's legit. Undefeated as a professional. Can grapple, can strike. Big for the weight class. He's undefeated for Bellator. Uh, he was like, going to fight for a Cage Warriors title and instead jumps on the Contender Series and gets absolutely folded in like, uh, just just folded up by Lioness in a minute 37. As you mentioned, the takedown, he's very strong. He's also spent a lot of time working with Patrick Cote at uh, Brazilian Top Team Canada and Fabio Holanda. His grappling is good. It's good by virtue that he's very strong. So even like a Bartos Fabinski type, they can just take you down and hold you down because they're so strong. Lioness is grappling underrated, and I actually think it's an advantage in this spot. If he can use the wrestling in spots, he can use the striking in spots. But beyond all that, with Gabe Green, is that Green's got to fight an aggressive, in-your-face game plan, put up volume, right? Because that's what we've seen from him so mm-hmm. far. He's a volume guy. But he's not defensively sound enough to take these shots. Like, dude, he got hit 175 times significantly against Daniel Rodriguez. The same thing in the Philip Rowe fight. Rose so long that if you can just break that distance, he showed really he's got nothing on the inside. Sorry, but to he got up. hit a lot, man. He got hit. He got hit clean. And then lastly, you look at his two losses before he signed with the UFC. They're both knockout. They're both in the first round, including one to Jalen Turner. No shame in that. In 36 seconds, like I don't think he's so cast iron that he's going to make a career and just walking through guys' shots. You can take some shots from Daniel Rodriguez. You can take some shots from Philip Rowe. I don't think you want to get hit from Lo- Johan Lioness. And that's aside from the fact that Johan could just take him down and use his better grappling. So multiple pass to victory, and he's the underdog. And believe me, this guy really wants it. Like, he's been training to fight in the UFC for a long time. When he got in the Contender Series, he's a huge underdog. And all the social media posts, he's just like, oh, I finally get to showcase myself to the world. I'm, I'm, got, I'm making the UFC guys like so much self-belief that, yeah, I'm going to smoke this guy. Nobody else believes I will. And then he walks in there and smokes this guy. And this is a continuation. So he's just another live underdog in a card that's chock full, full of them. The only last thing I wanted to add to it is at the end of uh, Roe versus Green, 
He has, like, Ro can't really stand anymore. His leg has been so damaged, and he keeps following him to the ground, making the mo like, making it. He ends up winning the decision, don't get me wrong, but, like, the only way he could lose that fight at that point is if he gets reversed or something like that. And uh, just continually, like, if he just forced Ro to stand up and just kept beating at that leg, he probably could have got him out of there. So that was kind of another thing. I'm like, this guy's making poor decisions. Um in fight as well so definitely not laying the chalk on him gonna add line s to my card this could be an interesting one this week there cody all right we got natan levy taking on mike breeden minus 195 levy plus 165 breeden who you got here like i think i will side with the favorite in this one but it's not like i love it and i think a lot of it's just recency bias on the part of mike breeden like he looks so bad against alex alexander hernandez that you're going to be quick to maybe write this guy off but yeah, I don't know. I, to me, this one comes down to the stylistical clash, right? What we do know from Mike Breeden is that, you know, fought fairly low-level guys, but look at his the contender series fight with Anthony Romero. He gets outstruck by a fair enough margin, like 80 to 60, but the leg kicks, man. I mean, Anthony Romero just kicks the lead leg at will, chews it up, immobilizes him. It's going to be something that's going to be a bit of a, an issue going forward, I think. And then he takes the fight with Alexander Hernandez on short notice. His takedown defense looked okay in the fight. But Hernandez just swarmed him, put a combination together, and he didn't know what to do. Just put his hands up, tried to defend the best he could, and gets knocked out like minute 20 into the round. Didn't look like he belonged, so to speak. Uh, Natan Levy, meanwhile, he, there's not a whole lot you can love out of him, too. Like, he's very young. He comes from a karate background. He loves to kick. I think he's going to try to stay to the outside, utilize as much of the apex that he can to just stay on the outside and kick, kick, kick. But if for whatever reason Mike Breeden's able to cut him off, like he's not all that good inside the pocket or in short distance. Like his fight with Rafa Garcia, Garcia bombed on him inside the pocket, just bombed on. All of his right hands were landing. Nate Levy took everything that he was getting beat up standing. As far as the takedowns, he gave up a whole lot of takedowns. But the dude's grappling actually looked vastly improved to me. Like, of course, on the contender series, he picked up a second round arm triangle choke or third round arm triangle choke, I believe it was. But it looks like that's probably primarily what he's working on is his wrestling and his grappling. And why it wasn't good enough to beat Rafa Garcia, I could give him a pass there. Like, Rafa Garcia's proven to be serviceable at least, mm -hmm. whereas I don't know what Breeden brings to the table. Breeden's offensive wrestling, it's not there. It doesn't exist. So I don't think he's going to take down Nate and Levy. I think he's just going to follow him forward, try to put hands on him. And if Levy's game plan stay, stick to the outside and use his kicks, that'll, be, that'll work. At some point, though, Nate and Levy's going to try to take Breeden down and if Breeden's takedown defense is as good as people say it is maybe he can make it a closer fight if he gets taken down it should be Levy's Levy's trains full-time out of a syndicate MMA he's a training partner to some of the best guys in the sport and you do see that he's making improvements I thought he fought very valiantly last time against Rafa Garcia and this should be a better version of him even though he is 30 I don't know how many major improvements he'll make I think he'll be good enough to beat Mike Breeden so minus 190 not a price tag I love for a guy that's 0-1 in the UFC and definitely green in a lot of areas of the game but uh but again as many favorites as i am taking i'm not going to take the breeding shot yeah i'm i'm with you as well i mean you just look at each one of these guys topology uh pictures and nat and levy looks like a uh he looks like a, a viable favorite the guy's super super jacked whereas breeding just looks like you know my bartender from from two nights ago uh, moving on down, we got Gina Mazzani taking on Shayna Young. Minus 165, Gina Mazzani. Plus 145, Shayna Young. They put me in a predicament here, Cody. I mean, last time Gina Mazzani was out here, we were betting 
catch a beating, catch a beating by knockout. Good times. Good times. It was like plus 600 on cab by by knockout. I kind of figured that if Gina wasn't able to just take her down controller at will over the course of 15 minutes, the cab would uh would put her in a in a whole world of hurt and uh and it paid off. That was basically a year ago. It was uh, May of uh, last year, May 15th of last year. They put her up against who I think is probably the worst fighter in the division and Shayna Young who is 0-2 in the UFC. Obviously, she's coming down to 125. I'll check out the weigh-ins here first, but I don't want to get much, like, I guess, because I'm never going to bet Gina Mazzani as a favorite, a minus 165 favorite. I guess it's a dog or pass situation, but I'm leaning towards pass because I have no interest in putting money on Shayna Young. I'm sorry. I've only I've only given... F- now four underdogs this week. I will not be taking the fifth unless Shayna Young looks amazing at 125. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Young for the uh, for the purposes of this show. But there's no way I get there from a betting perspective. Yeah, in terms of an underdog, like it, it does make sense because Gina Mazzani could never be trusted as the favorite. How could she? That last fight with Priscilla Cachoeira, she really there was no resistance the first round. She was just taking her down at will and setting up shot. And completely gassed out. And at the very first time she got punched clean in the face, just towered it away and, and, and wouldn't engage with her. Priscilla Cachoeira obviously put a beating on her. So that's not the kind of fighter that I would like to back. I think Gina Mazzani is a little bit older. She's 33 years old. Like, I don't know. I just, would you want to back her as a favorite? Probably yeah. not. But but again, this, I'm not going to officially take the uh, underdog pick on Shayna Young. This is a card, despite being in Las Vegas, is largely dominated by Glory MMA and Fitness. You got mm-hmm. Gina Mazzani's on the card. You got Mike Breeden's on the card. You got uh, Grant Dawson's on the card. There's a lot of these Glory MMA Fitness fighters, so I think she's going to come in good shape. Tim Elliott obviously is in excellent form right now. Picked up a, a close but very significant victory his last time out against uh, Tagir Ulanbekov. He's on fire. The gym's known for putting in the work. And I think that there's a lot that you could go back for Gina Mazzani and like from the fight with Priscilla Cachoeira, but some significant improvements that need to be made. Also, she got dealt a bum hand because she got a takedown in the second and the referee stood it up way too early. And then she gets killed once it gets standing again. I think in this fight against Shayna Young, the takedowns are going to be there again because Shayna Young seemingly gets taken down by pretty much everybody. Once she is on the ground, doesn't really offer up much. So if the takedowns are there for Mazzani, Mazzani does a slightly better job of pacing herself, should be okay. And I, I don't know anybody who can le- put a legitimate claim that they make money on Priscilla Cachoeira other than you, other than you. And why is the other only reason you ever take these flyers on Cachoeira? Because she's got an ability to just come at you and just let hands go. She can maybe fight. hit you, maybe yeah. not hit you. She's she going to fight. She can fight for 15 minutes. She is going to catch a beating. And uh, she's and willing she, to do and it. She, and she throws. I mean, she's willing to gouge people's eyes out yes. to, to not be defeated as well. Like, How I mean, much more she is fighting I fight for your dollar could you get? How much more I fight for your dollar could you get that I will guide this person's eyes out to get out of this submission attempt? Exactly. It's very impressive work from Cachoeira. All I'm saying is that Shayna Young doesn't bring that to the table. No. Like, it's not when she gets up, she's just going to bulldog forward and put some great you know, pressure or fight some really heavy, aggressive game plan. I don't think that's in her arsenal. More often than not, she gets taken down. Now, anyways, my go-to inside source for some of these uh, regional fighters uh, from Tennessee, the state of Tennessee, is informed that Shana Young trains at a gym in, in Tennessee. Uh, apparently, most of the gyms separated and left due to an issue with the strength and conditioning coach. 
she has remained at the gym with said strength and conditioning coach who then felt bad because she's got nobody to train with. So he paid to send her to Las Vegas where she's been for three weeks training for the fight. And I just don't think three weeks in Vegas is enough to really change anything about you. I'm sure she's in shape. She might look a little bit better than she normally does. But, but I think personal drama in her life, making a new weight cut, strength and conditioning coaches in your side, but why did everybody else bail from him? Like a lot of that just seems like red flaggy to me. And I've got so many other underdogs that I actually do like, I'm just not going to force one here. So the play is Gina Mazzani. It's just how much, how much could you really love it at the end of the day? Yeah. I mean, she just, yeah, she just faltered as a sizable. I think she's a bigger favorite than this against ketchup beating. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I imagine after that fight, she went back, put in a whole bunch of time working on cardio for the last year. So I expect the best Gina Mazzani that we've ever seen to show up on Saturday. But what is the best version of Gina Mazzani? Look like there exactly. is the there is the issue there, buddy. All right, and finally, oh, we got Tatsuyo, Tatsuru. How do I say this? Tatsuro. Tatsuro. Pretty easy. My mouth say doesn't it, say it. Say it phonetically. Say it, just say it phonetically. Tat. Tatsuro. Tatsuro Tyra. He takes on Carlos Candelario. Minus 240 for Tyra. Plus 195 for Candelario. Uh, watching some tape on Tetsuro Tyro, who is uh, 22 years old. Very, very young. Uh, I mean, the kid's grappling is super, super stellar, to be perfectly honest. Um, I don't really love what I see from his wrestling, but his ability to grab like body triangle is pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, he's obviously the number one uh, ranked flyweight uh prospect coming out of japan all good things for him are they potentially putting him in this situation as a as a you know a maybe we can build a new star am i running into another mokayev situation perhaps i ended up betting candelario though candelario though um hopefully you can keep it on the feet my biggest my biggest worry is that uh, tyra grabs body triangle here just rides his back, maybe even finds a submission. But going back and watching Candelario versus Alter Murano, I thought uh, Candelario should have won that decision. It was just at the end of round two, it's the most freshest thing in their minds. Alter Murano is able to get like a hip toss and land a couple strikes, which was, it was relatively close, but I thought he should have won that round. Uh, thought he should have won the fight in general. I just think if this fight stays on the feet, I haven't seen enough from Tyra on the feet. Uh, I think he's he, he's got him covered there. Candelario did slow down quite a bit in round three against Altamirano. The strikes were like 50 to 20-ish. Uh, I don't have it right in front of me, but it was it was in that range. I think that a lot of that had to do with like round one. He was coming out guns a-blazing. You're on Contender Series. You're looking for that finish. Why? You get that finish. Dana White hands you a contract. You become a UFC fighter. I know that this guy took off four years in between. I just thought I grabbed a plus 225 a little bit. Uh, I grabbed it yesterday, actually. Grabbed the plus 225. And um, I just think, especially if Tyra doesn't get body triangle, I am aware that this is definitely a, a severe possibility. I think that if this fight stays on the feet... This is going to look more like a pick to be perfectly honest. So I went with the dog shot on Carlos Calendario. What do you think about this matchup? 
Man, I'm super split on this one. And and you got Tatsura Tyra is like the second or third biggest favorite on the card. So there's a lot of faith in him. I just don't really fully understand it. I think Candelario technically is very sound. He's got good striking. He's got decent enough output. His wrestling's pretty okay. His grappling's pretty okay. There's a lot that you can like about the guy. Taking on a 22-year-old Japanese fighter that beyond the fact that he seemed to have some sick grappling, here's the red flag on the guy, right? He's 9-0 and as an amateur. He is 10-0 and as a pro. This mm-hmm. is his pro record. First round triangle, first round front choke, first round ground and pound, first round ground and pound, second round ground and pound, 19 seconds in, two decisions, and then three more uh, triangle, rear naked choke, rear naked choke, all in the first round. No doubt he's talented and he can go put a pace on a guy early, but it's against very limited green opposition over in Japan. Like, you can get away with certain things. Candelario's top. He's American. He's fought in the better level of competition, and he's fought uh, in the contender series twice. He's been in there against, I think, the higher level. At 30 years old, he's going to have the man strength advantage, and I think that he could do enough well, to just outstrike him standing. Record is against a bunch of nobodies. I mean, Alta Morano was the most talented guy he faced, and it was a close fight. I mean, in fairness to Tyra, like he is fighting some Japanese fighters with 38 and 30, a 38 and 18 record in Maeda. Um, but yes, a lot of his fights that I saw is like he's taking on like old, like Maeda is 40 years old now. Um, he's fighting a lot of guys who, yeah, one. They're fighting at 135, so it's going to be interesting seeing uh, uh, Tyra come down to 125 for this matchup. And like a lot of these situations, I'm like, these are like, these are like strawweights. These are male strawweights that he's taking on. Like he's got massive size advantage over most of his opponents in Japan. Whereas Candelario is going to be as tall as him. They're pretty much around the same size, like five seven and five eight. Um. Yeah, this will be a definite stiff test. This will be the most, uh, you know, most... He's met his match, I think. And that's why I took the dog shot. Yeah, well, I think it makes sense. And again, with Carlos Candelario, it, it kind of ruined... Not ruined, I guess, but against Ron, he fought on the contender series against Ronaldo Candito. I know they got very similar sounding names. And he's taking on a guy that's a very high-level BJJ black belt. Mm-hmm. Excellent grappling. He got taken down eight times. He got out of a recorded five submission attempts. And man, his grappling looks super solid. So if this kid's only got grappling to bring to the table, I don't think it's going to be as easy as just lock up an easy money, quick submission. The thing is, is that he fought super valiantly in that fight. Thought he was going to get a UFC contract because he won. This is his, you know, career, career objective. And Dana passes over for a contract. And he was like, you know what? There's no money in MMA, which he's right about, especially at the regional level. So if I'm not fighting in the UFC, I'm done. So he retired for four years, mm-hmm. right? Retires for four years, comes back out of retirement, fights this Miguel Restrepo, whom he'd already beaten earlier in his career, yep. wins a decision, and then when the contender series called him, it's it's what? It's 20, 25 days later. 25 days later after coming from a four-year-long layoff and beating a guy for three rounds, you take the fight with Victor Alta Moreno. And so I thought he won two. In, I thought he won the first two rounds. He gasses, but he gasses in round in three. Third. But that can make sense. That can give like, him a pass there. Because he got the yeah. Restrepo fight. And it's like, well, maybe yeah, maybe his gas tank is a lot better. Because like he probably won that fight. Didn't necessarily know he was going to get the contender series call. He's eating cheeseburgers, having a time. You know, it was his first fight in four years coming off of retirement. It all kind of adds up. So if this guy has three-round cardio, I think it's even more difficult for Tyra. 
Yeah, fact. And when he lost the Alta Moreno fight, they gave Alta Moreno a contract at the end of the night, but they didn't give one to uh, to Carlos Candelario. But I think Dana gave him a pat on the back and was like, stay ready. Matchmakers gave him a pat on the back, stay ready. And he has stayed ready. And so when you think about this moment is huge for him, I think he's going to be in shape. I think he's going to go out there. I think he's going to give it his all. And even if his cardio, if it's improved, good. Even if it hasn't improved marginally, he can still win the first two rounds. I know they did. They disagreed in the Alta Moreno fight, but I thought he won that second. You thought he won that second. One of the three judges thought he won that second. That's all we need here. We just need a close fight because we got a one guy who's a sizable enough underdog that if you can keep this thing close and keep it competitive, edge out two of the three rounds, maybe get tied in the third, but don't get finished. By the way, he's never been finished in his career, not as a pro or as an amateur. Nope. And had they given him the Victor Altamirano decision, which you agree with and mm-hmm. I agree with and people do agree with, then the kid be coming in here undefeated as well. He'd have an undefeated amateur record and undefeated pro record, just like this Japanese kid. It's like you're reading Only my difference notes. is... Only difference is he's fought in Las Vegas twice in front of Dana White. He's fought in better level of competition. He's gone deeper into rounds. Is this not all stuff you would like from an underdog? It's just, I'm like, man, am I taking too many underdogs? Like, am I fooling myself? But, like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's the PRP pick. But, dude, I would accuse you of stealing my notes, but my notes are in my head. So, I, unless you're in my head, which I hope for your sake you're not. Yeah, dude, we agree with a lot of underdogs on this card, and I think it could be uh, one where the, the dogs would be howling on Saturday night. Pat. Two things. One, with the way that the UFC schedule has been watered down, and they're just like, this event sounds horrible, um, unless you really like fighting. I do not, but I like to win money. That Can you have enough underdogs? Like, isn't the watering down of the product ripe for this sort of thing? Yes. Where, like, seven dogs win on one card? Yes. I mean, lower level of competition, you have less reason to trust when big numbers get thrown out there. So... That's kind of my mentality about it as well. But I just think a lot of these matchups are relatively close. And if you're if we're going to be flipping a coin and you're going to be giving me plus 160s, plus 145s, even plus 115 on like a guy like Liness, I'm going to take him. So that's why I'm ending up on a whole bunch of dogs this week. I got Candelario already locked in plus 225. I'm going to be adding Gordon, Tristan Connolly, and Johan Liness. Go Team Canada. Don't let me down. Um, because, yeah, we've been fading Canada. It doesn't really... Maybe there's a resurgence in ca- uh, Canadian MMA. But, yeah, it's it's dog week for me, baby. So, uh, let's get after it. What's... Uh, I mean, we're just about out of time here, Code. You know the drill. Hit him with the PRP. Hit him with the PRP. Hopefully, we got a better effort this time around. But, anyways, lots of underdogs. Marlon Vera, dog number one. Jake Collier, dog number two. We're going to go with Andre Feely. We're going to go with Jared Gordon, dog number three. We're going to go with Tristan Connolly, dog number four. We're going to go with Jotko. We're going to go with Francisco Figueredo, dog number five. We got Romanov. We got Johan Lainez as dog number six. We got Nate and Levy, Gina Mazzani, and Carlos Candelario, seven underdogs. I know it sounds crazy, but Pat mentioned it. It's uh, These cards used to be, fight nights used to be loaded with good guys that you knew. Jim Miller can't even crack a co-main event on a fight night card, right? But over time, it's like so many guys from the Contender Series, so many guys that were have been off for a year or two, but still have a valid contract with the organization that you owe fights to. There's just so much that they'll, they'll throw stuff together. And so the MMA burnout effect is that last week, there's two Bellator cards and there's a UFC and there is PFL. a KSW show and there's a PFL, right? And then you roll it. Nor I got burned worse is I got burned worst on that Bellator. The second Bellator with some of these under with some of these favorites, because there's not too much thought process that can go in 
your time is just kind of spread thin between so many organizations. Mm-hmm. This car's the same way. It's flying under the radar because it doesn't have the name value. And there's also a, a better looking PFL show on the Thursday night. It's true. So yeah, part of me thinks that, yeah, there's some value to be made. And with these guys that are mid-level, again, if you're not a fan favorite, people don't really want to do the study. People don't really want to dig into it. So a line gets set. People generally flow, go with the flow of that. But where have we been getting burned if we've been getting burned over the last month? It's just like these pop-up underdogs. Pop-up underdogs, they're going to come through, right? They're close, they're competitive, and they're willing to fight for it. we got a bunch of them that are going to do that. Marlon Vera is a junkyard dog. Plus mm-hmm. money on him? Sign me up. Jared Gordon is a junkyard dog. Tristan Conley, a little less so than those guys maybe, and he's fighting a, a veteran junkyard dog. But he's going to fight for it, right? Beyond that, Johan Lioness. Uh, maybe Candelario. I hope he goes for it because he knows it could be his last opportunity. Is that you're getting guys that are going to go out there and give you their best effort, have the skill sets to win this fight, and are plus money. It looks good. On the drafting side of things, as Pat said, you, there's so much of these – underdogs that are live and not only that a lot of these underdogs are live for a big finish right so if you can get a couple dogs come through save value take your romanovs get your wins even the guys that i like like jotko worst DraftKings play of all times don't take him mm-hmm. so you're gonna fade gonna some actively, of those top guys hit yeah. some of the dog yeah it just doesn't score shit well, he's just gonna so actively just, probably try to keep it on is. the feet and pick them apart with like 60 significant strikes like that's probably I, I know you said that he could probably take him down and just hang out in his guard, but how much can. time is he going to is he gonna spend three minutes of each round from top position? Because you kind of, if, if it's not too much volume, you kind of need someone who's just like top control for, for like five minutes or more in a fight. And I don't know if that's how the fight would play out there. Yeah. Well, uh, question, yeah. hold on. Who are the dogs yeah. that are going to knock people out early or finish early? You just mentioned that a couple of these dogs could be quick finishers. Who are they? Lioness, Lioness could could Definitely. just absolutely. I mean, Gabe Green has been very very durable, but Lioness is going to be throwing heaters. Like that's that's his thing. He is a finisher. If he wins, very possible he finds a finish. Um, Jared Gordon, Jared Gordon's Gordon's less a guy, of a like, less up. of a finisher, but more of a sets a high pace. Historically, can put up. Exactly. Tons of points Look at his just from numbers so historically. Yeah. yeah, I mean historically puts up big points because he just keeps coming at you, lands a lot of takedowns, top control, um, and throws a lot of volume. So he's a good do- a dog situation. Bar- Vera's in the main event, um, so I that's like a five five rounds. five rounds. He's got a great like great chin, and the guy he's fighting probably throws a little bit more, but he's he he could definitely knock out Rob Font. That's very very much in play so yeah there is no shortage of underdogs that you can fill your lineups with this week on DraftKings. yeah i mean and speaking by the way speaking of the jordan garrett uh the jordan jared gordon narrative grant dawson taking the fun of short notice for rafael alves mm-hmm. so tire this guy out put a pace on him everything pat or paul said is true and also i think with tristan Connolly, maybe that one doesn't scream quick finish but not a whole lot of people are probably going to roster him and if elkins is damaged that's the key. It's not whether Elkins could win this fight if he's at full capacity. It's that he's taken a beating. He's been in the ringer. He could be susceptible to get caught. Or he could be in a crazy war like the Nate Landwehr fight. The opponent's going to put up big numbers against Elkins because that's the way Elkins fights, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's just tons of guys live on the drafting side of things, tons of guys that are live if you just want to make par- or, um, straight underdog bets. So, because yeah. I'm more of a parlay guy myself, the biggest question is who's going to Amber Heard in the apple pie? 
Um, but I'm just hoping to avoid it altogether and then hopefully, hopefully come out on the positive. But so, the fa- the favorites, there's a much shorter list of the favorites that you do. Like, who do you put at the top ticket? You know, do you put Marlon Vera, Easy Hedge out on Rob Font? Maybe. But who's he get matched up with? The, the, who, who are the favorites that you actually like? Who's a top ticket guy that you could put with them? I'm looking at it. I think uh, feel I think Feely rolls here, but okay. And Feely is a minus two with sixty two seventy. I mean, it's he, a he big price roll. to pay on Andre Feely, but I think he should have him covered pretty much everywhere here. I like Jocko, but how many times is Mir Shart gonna you know yeah. slip me one? But of course, if I bet him, then he'll Mir Shart in the apple Mere pie. Mir Shart all know. over your parlays for sure. <laughs> Mir Shart on yeah in your apple pie was much better line. We'll use that one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But anyways, uh, we're talking about a lot of shit, and I'm trying to think positive here. So so hopefully we can uh, squeak out of this one on the Victoria side of things. Because, again, so many underdogs, if they do come through, if we do get the bounces that we need, if we do get the two out of three judges side it our way, yeah, I mean, the money's there to be made. So this could be a crazy bounce-back week, or it could just be another continuous trend of greasy cars that you shouldn't bet on. But we're such big fight fans, and this is what we do on a week-to-week basis. That, of course, of course oh yeah, I, it, right? I can't help myself. I mean, yeah, last week, what else are you gonna do? Last week would have been a tread water from my UFC betting card. I mean, if the Romanov fight went off, it would have been fine. I'm ha- yeah, and then the Bellator live that saved my bacon, made me actually have a profitable week for the first time in a little bit. So uh, only onwards and upwards from here, Cody. But that is it for us. Oh, Pat has another question. Yeah, right, right as I was. About to uh, finish <laughs> off there. What, what's up? Sorry about that. No, I wanted to play a PRP based on your guys' picks, but I know you guys won't do it because too cowardly. So here's the move. You got Feely, Gordon, Conley, Figueredo, Leoness, and it's a me, Candelario. 242 to 1 in. <laughs> how can that lose? I don't understand. I hope, how it, I hope it wins because then I'm sweeping my card. Is this that week. the best bet of the last five years, Paul? Probably. <laughs> uh, I would yeah, say it's probably well, the best bet of the last five years. Yeah, of course. You know what? I mean, we, we hit a UFC PRP every year, right? If this was to be it, just to say, if it was to be your week that you pull your winning lotto numbers, we got Romanov, you have Candelario, Gina Mazzani, Nathan Levy, Johan, Francisco, Jotko, Connolly, Jared Gordon, Andre Fili, Jake Collier, Marlon Vera on a $1 bet. Pays 1900 bucks. <laughs> so, so you know what I mean? On a $1 bet. Of course, I'm going to have 5 10 maybe $20 on it. And uh, you'll never hear from me ever again if the PRP hits, yeah. correct? Bet it's going to be great farm, times. Win 1900 yeah, farms. And then you basically just own, you just own a country, basically, at that point. And then I just run my own country. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, anything could go wrong. I'm just saying it's one dollar. Lots could, lots can definitely go wrong. Um, you know, I, but, I had a conversation with someone the other day. They're like, man, it must suck when you get, you know, you're getting picks wrong. People are let down. I get it. And that never feels good. But I always think to myself this, and I try to express this. If we lose on an event, right? You had. A unit, that two units, three units, you lose it on the event. And you lose it on the next event. Lose it on the third event. And on the fourth event, you hit one of these eight-to-ones. You hit one of these ten-to-ones. Well, on the outside looking in, you're one and three on the month. Not a very good result, mm-hmm. though, is it? But when we hit, we hit big. That's that's what we go for. Losing is part of the game. I think everybody's accepted that. 
It's when you hit, you try to hit big. Is this 12 hitter going to go? No. <laughs> but dude, if the six hitter goes, we're going to be looking pretty good. Mm-hmm. It's all about uh, hopefully being on the right side of things. So that's what we're going to try to yeah, do. Yeah, and that's why it makes it a lot more. I know that sometimes with Bellator, it makes it you know easier to hit the PRP. But when you're loading up a whole bunch of minus 1,000 favorites, it's like... I mean, I've seen top top lines of yours that are like minus one ninety five for a four leg parlay. It's just like you just need right. one one injury, one crazy thing, one Dean Barry type of situation happens, and everything goes up in flames. So, um, yeah, that's just the nature of the beast. Anyway, I think Pat doesn't have any more questions. Cody doesn't have any more comments. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Pat Mayo and Cody Saptic, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh.